0: But today we transition from the joyful mysteries of the last five weeks. Today, to the luminous mysteries, beginning with the baptism of the Lord. The baptism of the Lord is one of those mysteries that uh, speak to us of the goodness of God, specifically in His revelation of Himself, and also of His kindness towards us and our own our own needs, our own weakness. We know this because the Lord did not need to be baptized. He had no need to be baptized. He he had no sin from which he needed to be cleansed. He himself is Christ, so there would be no joining him to the body of Christ. One of the one of the effects of baptism, he himself was full of the Spirit and all the other things that we would that we would celebrate for ourselves in baptism. He had no need of, and so he took up this gift of baptism not for himself so as to, um, to be cleansed or anything of that nature, but rather so as to set the path for us that we might seek baptism ourselves, that, that the water would be sanctified. So as, as he was immersed in the water, it was the water that was purified, not the Lord. And then lastly, to be able to see it as one more of those continuations of the revelations of the Lord, it's the Lord God who, who comes to us, and, and during this, this you know, the seasons, um, you know, the seasons of the year, they each speak to different things. But Christmas and Advent, you know, Christmas specifically, and the feasts that follow it uh, speak to this uh, to this reality of revelation of the Lord. And so, the Lord Jesus, He comes, and He's revealed as a little child. He's revealed in the epiphany. He's revealed, and as we'll celebrate in our, our offer, uh, the reflection next week, the the wedding feast at Cana, but also today in his baptism, is there's a revelation about who is this man, and it's the fact that he comes and and as as the, the story just tells us that the you know John baptizes him, and then the heavens are opened up and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove to be able to uh, to rest upon the Lord, and then we hear that voice, uh, hear the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, and so. We have an understanding of, of the Father speaks, of the Son. The Son is present there, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Him. And so this is really kind of one of the first explicit uh, explanations of us, or for us rather, uh, of the Trinity itself, that, that God is one, yet God is three, that He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's a revelation of, of God in Himself, but also of the person of Jesus. We know that whenever Jesus is baptized, he then is led out by the Holy Spirit to go to the desert to be tempted for 40 days where he fasts and he prays. Our, our, uh, our standard of Lent uh, is set by the Lord at that time. And so having been led out by the, by the Spirit, he does these things and then, and then ultimately returns and continues on his mission. And so it's that last piece there that, that really gives to us an understanding of the fruit of this mystery, which is docility to the Holy Spirit, it's a willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit. Whenever I went to the Jordan River, whenever our, our pilgrimage went there, as we were riding along, it was a, a nice long ride out of the city out to, to the wilderness, because we know that John was out in the wilderness baptizing, right? And so, as we were going, you know, we started to see, uh, started to see actual wilderness. It was kind of funny earlier in the trip as we're driving along, uh, touring uh, around the Sea of Galilee and, and Jerusalem and some of the other some of the other major sites. Our tour guide said, "I bet when you came to the Holy Land, you thought you were going to see lots of deserts, huh?" And everybody said, "Yeah," <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> there was lots of greenery. There was trees all over the place, beautiful flowers, lots of greenery all around where we were. Except this was the one place that kind of matched the description that often you know we you know that many of the people thought. Uh, The Holy Land would look like it was—it was barren desert. It was just lots of sand and you know old shrub, you know old dried up shrub brushes, you know, and and, you know a few a few green things here and there down by the river, but not much else. For as far as one can see, just wilderness. It was out in that place that we went, and we arrived at at the spot where it said that our Lord was baptized. And there's, you know, there's a church there set up and, you know, pilgrimage sites for people to be able to come and to, to, to celebrate this great mystery. And so we get out and, you know, uh, file through all the other people and, and find a little, a little pavilion with some seats in it. And Dr. Shree begins to, to explain some of the mysteries and, and explain some of the theological reflections on the baptism of the Lord and the, the history of the Jordan River and all these kinds of things. And I know he recorded it, and I'm going to have to go back and listen to it at some point because I couldn't hear, or I wouldn't at least, couldn't even pay attention to most of what the man said because I was too busy swatting flies continuously. They were all over the place. If you didn't move for half a second, there'd be at least three flies on every square inch of your body, it seemed. There were tons of the things, and it was bothering the mess out of me. I don't like gnats. I don't like flies. They're not my friends. I don't know why God made them. He has some reason. I have yet to understand it. But, nonetheless, they were there in multitudes. And there… After Dr. Shri continued or finished his talk, we were finally able to get up and start moving again and try to get the bugs not to just sit on us all the time. And so we, the priest vested in our vestments, and then we, we, we offer the, the renunciation of sin and then the renewal of baptismal promises. So it's a beautiful thing. You know? So we're renewing our baptismal promises at the place where the Lord was baptized, a profound religious experience, And so… Everyone having renewed our baptismal promises, we walk down the steps down to the Jordan River itself, and there we first notice that water is not really pretty. If you look on the front of the bulletin this week, it looks more like the Mississippi than it does a nice beautiful blue flowing waves um, that, that often is depicted in sacred art. And not only that, it was also pointed out which is the reason I think the flies were so predominant, there was a bit of a stench, as they would say of Lazarus uh, in the tomb, right? Lord, there will be a stench by now. And as we got near to the Jordan, more and more strongly was the stench of things. Now, I don't know if that was how our Lord experienced and Maybe when he was baptized, he had beautiful, beautiful, clean water, and maybe it didn't smell bad at all, and there were no flies all around But again, that was not my experience of the place. But it doesn't mean it wasn't still a spiritual and prayerful experience, because indeed it was. We took that smelly, muddy water and poured it upon people's heads (laughs) as the reminder of the renewal of baptismal promises, and everybody probably made sure to shower and, and soap up their hair twice that night, just on that account. But It was nonetheless a a striking experience to be in the place where our Lord Himself was baptized and and where the Father spoke and humanity heard, and that the Spirit came and and rested upon Him. It's incredible to think about the fact also that, that in that holy place, Elijah had gone, and it was there that he was taken up by the chariot of fire and lifted up into the heavens. It was in that same spot that Elisha, the great prophet, the successor of Elijah, was the one to be able to go and, and, and to experience the, the, the power of God at work given in the double portion of the share of, of Elijah's spirit, as it says. As he took Elijah's cloak, as Elijah went up into the heavens, Elisha took the cloak and, and struck the water with it, and the, and the river opened up for him to be able to pass over on dry land. It's a place where Naaman the Syrian went, and was able to to be washed in the water seven times and thus to find freedom from his leprosy. It was also a place on that same account that I came to understand as, you know, as we've mentioned before, when you go to the Holy Land, it changes how you read the scriptures. And now after having seen the Jordan and smelled the Jordan, I understood why Naaman would look at the water and go, we have nicer water back home. It made sense to me why Naaman's response would be kind of a lackluster show of faith and there's just this washing in ordinary water. And yet it was by that that he was able to be cleansed from, um, from leprosy. It's also the place, of course, where our Lord was baptized. It's the place where John went to be able to call all of Israel back to himself, to, to, to be able to hear, to be the voice crying out in the desert so that they might hear his voice and be converted back to the Lord. It's also the place where the people of Israel, after having wandered for 40 years out in the desert, they passed through the Jordan and entered into the Promised Land, to that place that God had prepared for them, the place that anticipates heaven for us. The Jordan is a beautiful place in that sense, rich with all the mysteries of the centuries of spiritual things that have taken place there, but again, so ordinary. And yet also it was helpful in contemplating that uh, this is a great reason why we ought to pray with this gift of the docility to the Holy Spirit is because sometimes as the Lord may lead us to the course of this life, the place where he leads us, he leads us by these these beautiful roads, past these beautiful green trees, past all the, the, the fine flowers and the greenery, the rich temples and things all around, leads out into the wilderness to a bunch of muddy, stinky water. And he says, this is my will for you. And we look at it and kind of go, I'd rather not. I'd rather not, Lord. Sometimes we would like the Holy Spirit to lead us to beautiful things, to clean things, pleasant things, places where the experience of life is a positive one, an encouraging one, an enriching one, where things are along the lines, or at least close along the lines, of what we ourselves expect of the situation. And yet, very often the Lord will lead us to a place that doesn't seem exactly right. It's not what we would have hoped. It's not what our dreams looked like. It's not what our imaginings looked like of how God would work in this particular scenario. And yet, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Lord God leading us to Himself. And so this docility to the Holy Spirit, sometimes it often requires of us uh, a great trust in the Holy Spirit because it's easy whenever we look at things that don't seem to be at first glance what God might have done in that circumstance for us. It takes a willingness to trust in Him and to go anyway, despite what things look like. It's for us to trust the Holy Spirit and docility. But first, we must know Him. I would encourage each of you, if you've not read it yet, to read a book entitled The Sanctifier by uh, Archbishop Luis Martinez. It's a classic on, on the spiritual reality of, of the Holy Spirit, of, of who he is and how he acts and how he lives in us. It's a great gift to read this book, The Sanctifier. And it's actually passed by several times on the used bookshelf in the back, and it has sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think a lot of times we like to read about Jesus. We don't always like to read about the Holy Spirit, I think. Because sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap because pretty much everything is blamed on him. Whenever somebody has some kind of idea of something they want to do, Holy Spirit told me to do it. Even if he didn't actually say it, they feel like he did, right? So the Holy Spirit gets blamed, a lot of things get blamed on him in that regard. So I think sometimes we're just gun shy about what to do with the Holy Spirit, how to engage with him, you know? But the sanctifier is a, a tremendous gift that provides us an understanding of, of who He is and how we relate with Him. To actually uh, allow the Holy Spirit and understand that he, he dwells in our soul by virtue of our own baptism. And in the same manner as, as our Lord, the, the, the Spirit descended in the, as the form of a dove, but the Spirit in, invisibly descends upon every single one of us at our baptism as well. And just as our Lord received that Spirit and, you know, had Him rest upon Him and then followed Him, followed His promptings to go out into the desert, so also the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts as well. He wants us to listen to Him and to listen well. Again, not just to say that whatever happens to come to our mind or heart is always the Holy Spirit. We have to discern these things, the Scriptures especially tell us. But it is to ensure that we do know the Spirit's voice, which only happens by time of prayer, which only happens by being willing to follow after Him when we know that it is He who is speaking to us. And when, as we, as we get to know Him more and more, we come to know Him, not just intellectually, but personally, we know that it is He who speaks. One of the prayers that, that I love the most, especially in this regard, which I think embodies well this, this docility to the Holy Spirit, is a prayer of, of Cardinal Mercier, often referred to as the spirit of sanctity. I've mentioned several times, I think, in homilies before. But it's a profound prayer that should, it should be heard a thousand times. I'll probably tell you about it a thousand times in sermons. And it's because it's richness. It's a simple prayer. And it can be easily done no matter where we happen to find ourselves. It's to do our best for a few minutes to quiet our mind, to quiet our heart. And then, Cardinal Mercier tells us, speaking to the Holy Spirit who abides within us in our soul to say, Come, Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, I adore thee. Enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, console me. Tell me what to do. Give me your orders. I promise to do all that you desire of me and to accept all you permit to happen to me. Let me only know your will. And then to rest a few more moments, as the Holy Spirit may sometimes speak with haste, but then to conclude one's time of prayer and to go throughout the rest of the day, trusting that the Holy Spirit will be speaking in some manner at some time and to pray that when we know it, it is He to actually do the work that He calls us to. Because this is the most important final piece of it. His docility to the Holy Spirit isn't just about hearing the Holy Spirit and knowing that it's Him, but it's about actually doing what He says. Jesus, after his baptism, actually went into the desert. He didn't just say, the Holy Spirit wants me to go to the desert. Cool. He actually went. He allowed himself to be led out there. And there he endured fasting, suffering for 40 days. And so it's for us, whenever the Holy Spirit speaks to us as well, to be willing to go. And sometimes it will involve suffering like a fasting Sometimes it will involve something of the smelly water of the Jordan, which we might not expect, but which clearly is the place where God intends us to be exactly then. And so, as we offer this holy mass, it's to give thanks to God for this gift of the baptism of the Lord, which opens for us the heavens. It allows us to enter into and to receive baptism ourselves and to become children of God. It allows us to be recipients of the Holy Spirit, it allows us to have holy water which we can use daily and frequently to cleanse us of venial sins and to strengthen our spirit. And especially for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who by our own baptism has come and made his dwelling within each of our hearts. And there he speaks. May God grant us the grace to know him, to know his voice, to respond to him, and to act with great docility as he calls.